You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as a family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. If anybody doesn't know who I am, I, my name is Jessica. I am Pastor Greg's other half. I just want to say before we start, I miss you guys. <laughs> I'm not skipping out on church. Most of the time I'm in Augensburg, so if you're wondering... Um, and God is really moving in Augensburg. Who's had a chance to go to Augensburg Church? If you haven't, you should come out next week for the Baptism Sunday. Um, but I'm telling you, there's over 20 people getting baptized next week. And the part that excites me more than that is that almost every one of them is a new Christian. That excites me so much. Like, they ask me questions like, who's the Holy Spirit? I'm like, I love my job. Like, like, what did Jesus do for me? Like, why? Like, I like just amazing, amazing. You know, what's the book of Job? No, it's Job. It's okay, though. You know, I just, it's amazing what God is doing. Um, so I just encourage you, come check out sometime. It's 11 a.m. If there's a Sunday you sleep in and you miss church here, you can make it for church in Hogginsburg. So I'm excited what God's doing. Um, before we start, I think people are slowly coming in. I just want to actually, oh, there's somebody here I wanted to pray for, and now I don't see them. Well, if they enter in, I might mid-message, mid stop my message. Is that okay? Everybody cool with that? I don't even know who the, like, their name. So, um, But I want to talk to you guys today about something that I think every one of us struggles with, and it's wanting to be in control. Any control freaks in the house? Loud and proud, right? Come on, there's two? Any control freaks in this house? No, everyone's like, I don't want to admit this. Okay, so now there's five. Wow. Okay, so you know you might have a problem with control if you're a backseat driver. Okay, so maybe you didn't raise your hand. No, that's not me. But anytime anyone but you is driving, you have a problem. Anybody relate to this? Right, right. So you have to give commentary. You have to tell them, watch out for the squirrel. You have to, you know, you, you end up pushing the invisible brake so much that there's like your rug is wearing out on the passenger side. Anybody do that? I do that. Now, see, if you've ever driven with my husband, Greg, yes, Sherry goes, oh, oh gosh, yes. My husband, Greg, likes to drive fast. And it's usually when we're going from Messina to Augensburg because he wants to get there and we have to leave straight here. And so what I started to do, now I used to be a backseat driver, and that does not go over well. And you don't want to fight right before you go to church, right? <laughs> Anybody ever done that before? Right. Go to church and speak even harder, <laughs> right? So what I do now, because he, he likes to go fast, but he also likes to pass multiple cars at once. Anybody else like that person? I am not that person, like... I struggle passing the one, like, oh, oh, and then when they finally, like, move over because they're like, dude, just pass me, and they, like, go to the side of the road so you can pass, and you're like, thank you, that's me. Now, my husband is like, there's three, three cars and a semi, the lines, we'll be fine, and I'm just like, so I used to always, you know, have to be in control, but over the years, God has taught me, so what I do instead is I close my eyes. You know that song that says, I might be surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you? <laughs> so I picture like a legion of angels around my car, 
protecting us as we passed, you know, the semi and the car and the other car. And I just don't say anything. I just live in my happy place. And then I open my eyes and we're still alive. So that's how I deal with my control sometimes. But if you are a control freak, I would not recommend this. Having children. Anybody say an amen to that? Okay. Because you realize a whole new level of life that's out of your control. I think a couple of weeks ago, Greg shared the story, so I won't repeat it. But we had been at a wedding for a couple in Augensburg. And when we got home, my oldest was babysitting. And my youngest decided to light things on fire on her wooden desk. And then next to the curtain and the wooden floor. And so the whole house smelled like smoke, but they're still alive. So when you become a parent, you really learn that there is almost nothing in our control. Isn't there? So what I want to talk to you guys today is about the idol of control. I think uh, Pastor Greg is going to be doing a series, I think. Maybe I'm speaking prematurely. But he really wants to talk about idols in our lives. Does anybody know what an idol is? Maybe kind of. Like it's kind of a weird word we don't use a lot. Except if you're talking about American Idol, right? <laughs> Those are idols too sometimes. But um, a lot of times if you read the Old Testament, idols in the Old Testament were false images or statues of false gods, Right? So you, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, sometimes Eastern religions also have these images that they worship as like their God. Um, you know, back in the Old Testament, there was a God that, you know, a false God called Baal that all the times the Israelites kind of left God and they began to worship Baal. And so they would have these statues of Baal. And there's another God called Asherah. And they would make these wooden you know, basically it was a piece of wood, a pole, and they would worship this God named Asherah. And so they had all these idols, and all the time in the Old Testament, God keeps telling his people, the Israelites, you need to, you know, tear down the Asherah poles. You need to take down the altars of the false gods. You need to destroy these idols and turn and worship me. And you can hear that and think, well... We don't really do that, you know, in America. We don't really do that much in the West. You know, I think about the story of Moses. If you know the story in the Old Testament of Moses, um, he receives the Ten Commandments. He goes up to the mountain. He meets with God. He's receiving the Ten Commandments. He takes too long to come back down the mountain. And by the time he comes back down, they've made a golden calf that they're worshiping. And you, you read these silly stories and you think, how dumb are they? God is literally speaking, booming from this mountain, his voice audibly. There's thunder and lightning. And they're down here like, hey, let's make a cow. That'd be really cool. And then we'll worship it. And you're like, wow, they are so dumb. But the truth is we do it too all the time. They just don't always look like golden cows or little poles or little statues, right? So if you have your notes and if you've ever heard me speak before, I'm like a teacher, and I make you fill in blanks. Because you will forget what I say, but a lot of times you remember what you write. Okay, so what are idols in today's world? You'll see the first blank there. It says, an idol is anything we exalt above God. An idol is anything we exalt above God. Okay? And then your second blank. So some of you guys, that's kind of easy to think of, right? So if I put... You know, whatever. Football, and every Sunday, all I think about is football, and I refuse to go to church during the football season. Maybe that could be an idol. But it's bigger than even that, okay? 
So your second blank is an idol is anything we put our faith in. This is what I really want to make you think about for a second. An idol is anything we put our faith in. So I put my faith in God. What do you mean I don't put my faith in anything else? Let me just give you an example because this is hard to understand unless you give some examples. If anybody's ever heard anything or learned anything about the New Age religion, one of the things a lot of New Age people believe in is crystals. Now, I used to collect rocks and crystals as a kid. I just thought they were really pretty. But now I'm like, oh, they're evil. But you know what the truth is? It's not evil to have a piece of quartz in your house. It's not evil to have a rock collection. What's evil is when I put my faith in that thing. So an idol is anything you put your faith in. So you might say, well, I don't put my faith in crystals. That's dumb. But do you put your faith in your 401k? Do you put your faith in your spouse? Do you put your faith in your cushy job and your bank account? Do you put your faith in your ability to control your own life? This is how we can make an idol of anything, including control, right? So just want you to think a little bit. Don't just think in the terms of what you might have thought before. So four questions to discover if you have an idol in your life. And guess what you probably do because we all do. Okay, number one, what do I want the most? Number two, what do I think about the most? Number three, what do I spend the most money on? Now, I say my kids, gosh, <laughs> kids are expensive, right? But look at your bank account. What do you spend the most money on? Number four, what do I spend most of my free time doing? Any of those answers could become an idol in your life. It's not wrong to spend money on hobbies. It's not wrong to do things in your free time. But it's when it crowds out God and we exalt it above him, okay? I believe one of the biggest idols in our life is the idol of control. So this next blank says, you can have faith or you can have control, but you can't have both, okay? You can have faith or you can have control, but you can't have both, do you know there's a reason why when it talks about the armor of God that the shield is called the shield of faith? Do you know what those shields look like? They weren't like a little circle. They were huge. They covered the top of your head to your feet. They covered their whole entire body. So I want you to imagine if this is faith and I've got a shield and I choose control instead, I want to control what I'm doing with my life. It's like I just drop that shield and I'm standing in the middle of a battle and wondering why all these firing darts are beating at me, right? You completely expose yourself the minute you choose to walk and control your own life instead of walking by faith, right? Okay, so why does this matter? Why does it matter? Why can't I just control, make decisions for my own life, try to make wise decisions? First question I want to ask you is this. Do you know that you can be a believer, you can even be a Christian, and not walk in the Spirit, we don't talk about this enough, okay? Just track with me for a second because I don't want people to get confused, especially if you're new to church or reading your Bible. Okay, so if I'm a Christian, if I'm a believer, I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe he rose again. I believe he took the punishment for my sin. And I believe one day I'm going to be in heaven with God the Father because of what Jesus did. Everybody 
agree. That's what a believer, that's what a Christian believes. But just because I believe that doesn't mean I walk in the spirit, okay? It's, it's a different thing, okay? Do you know that you can love Jesus and even go to heaven and miss the whole point? I'm going to say that again. Do you know that you can love Jesus and even go to heaven because you believe he died for your sin? You believe that you're going to be one day with God in heaven because of the price he paid. But miss the whole point. Why do I say that? Because the whole point is that I'm going to learn how to walk. The Holy Spirit is supposed to live in us. So I don't get to choose what I want anymore. I don't get to, to have control. This Holy Spirit has control of my life. See, salvation, the moment you, you say, I believe, I accept Jesus into my life, that's the starting line, okay? That's the starting line of your Christian life. But how many of you guys have ever been to a track meet and they say, on your mark, get set, go, and they shoot off the gun and everybody runs except one person? They're all looking at that person like, uh, go. Sometimes I think that's us. You can do it. Go. Move off the starting line. There's a whole race ahead of you. You're missing the whole point. And sometimes I think that's what God says to us. What does Paul say? He says, run. Run the race that's been set before you. So what does that mean? What does that look like? How do I do that? Sometimes I think we, have you guys ever heard the thought of your ticket to heaven? Anybody ever heard that, right? Do you have your ticket to heaven? First of all, I just want to say, do you know that's not in the Bible? Jesus doesn't hand out tickets. It's not the Shriner Circus. You know those tickets you used to get for the free circus in the mail? It's like they're handing them out like candy on the street corners. Like sometimes we think like that's what salvation is, right? Like get your ticket, get your ticket, get everybody, get your ticket. And we get our ticket and we ask Jesus into our life. And then we're like get to heaven and we're ready for the show. And then we're like, wait a second. Jesus is looking at you saying, you're the show. Wait, no, no, no. Jesus is the show. If Jesus was the show, he would have stayed on the earth after he was resurrected. Why would he leave? He could have saved the whole world by just living eternally on the earth. He could have preached and healed everybody. He left. He said, it's better that I go so the Holy Spirit can come and live in you. You're at the starting line. Run. You're the show. You're like, wait, that doesn't sound right. Okay, just keep tracking with me, okay? I'm going to read you a couple verses. It's more like instead of a free ticket to the circus, <laughs> it's more like Jesus qualified you to be in the Olympic Games. Okay? Jesus qualified you. You're not qualified yourself, and you're not even going to do it in your own strength. It's not like, okay, i got to work out really hard because I'm going to be running in the Olympics. He's going to empower you by the Spirit. He does all the work. But you're in, the, like, you're in the game. Like, you have a responsibility too. And that's just to move, go, to run. Um, I want to read a couple verses real quick. They're not on your notes. But just track with me for a second. Colossians 1, 26 through 27 says this. This fullness of the message was kept secret for centuries past. But now it's been revealed to God's people. This is Paul, okay? He's talking to the church. And he says, and this is the secret. And everybody's probably sitting in the room, you know, waiting, listening to Paul. There's a secret that's been kept for generations, and now it's being revealed to the early church. What's the secret, Paul? What's the secret, Paul? He says, this is the secret. Christ lives in you. 
The secret wasn't Christ died for your sins. He absolutely did. But that wasn't the secret. They knew that. That was being proclaimed. This is the secret that God's revealing. Christ lives in you. And it's the hope of glory. Right? So one more verse I want to read to you. Romans 8, 18 through 19. Some of you guys have probably heard this verse before. But we only read the first half. For what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that God will reveal to us later. Anybody heard that before? Right, when you're going through a, a season of suffering and loss, you, people might tell you, listen, I know this is really hard, but what you suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that God wants to reveal later, right? And we think about the glory being heaven. Well, one day when all of our tears are, are wiped away and one day when all of our, you know, pain is gone and we're healed and the people we lost are restored, that's not what it means. Let me read the next verse. For what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all of creation, I just love this verse, is eagerly waiting for the future day, for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. Think about that for a second. All of creation is waiting for your reveal. That's hard to believe. But it's not you, like, wow, you're so amazing. It's Christ in you. Think about that. So why is it so important that we don't worship this idol of control? Because I can be a Christian my whole life, go to heaven and miss the whole point. I've never one day walked in the spirit. I just walked according to the flesh. I just did what I wanted to do. I did what I felt like was most logical and practical and most safe. But the Holy Spirit isn't safe. He's not almost ever logical, which drives me insane. I look like a fool 99.9999995% of the time. And the other 5% is when I just did what I wanted. <laughs> or 0.005%. Okay, so I'm going off tangent a little bit. Okay, question is this. How does the need for control manifest in our lives? Well, obviously in a million different ways. But let me throw this out to you. One of the big ways it manifests is our prayer life, okay? How many times, and this isn't wrong, but if this is all we know, then there's more that God wants to do in and through us. How many times does our prayer life sound like a laundry list of things we're praying for God to do? Anybody? It's not wrong to have prayer requests. Please, we want you to write them even on the cards we pray every week. But if that is the sole that is my prayer life, then I actually don't fully understand my relationship with God. Um, it's kind of like, he's not here today, so I can pick on him. My son, Jeremiah, I love him to death. He's my oldest. He's 15. He has this very subtle way of always trying to talk me into something. Anybody have a child like this? Yes. So, mom, you look hungry. Hmm. You must be craving, yeah, French fries. Like, oh, I'm really good, honey. Yeah, I mean, I, don't you need to go to Potsdam to, like, go to Lowe's or something? No, I don't really need to go to Lowe's. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's something you need in Potsdam. You could get one of those nice lattes, you know, at one of the fancy coffee shops, and, and then you could pick me up five guys. <laughs> this is him about everything all the time. Hey, Mom. You know, do you need to go upstairs to get anything? No, I don't. 
Well, if you happen to need to go upstairs, you could possibly maybe grab my blanket. You know. But how many times is our prayer life just feel like we're trying to talk God into something? Again, it's not wrong to bring your request to God. But is that the soul, like, is that what our prayer life is all about? Because Jesus modeled for us a different way to pray, right? And if you've been in church at all, you've heard, right, the Our Father. Even if you grew up Catholic, you know, we had it memorized. So I'm going to read it to you real quick. Matthew 6, if you want to turn there, I think it's um, on your notes too. Matthew 6, verse 9. So the disciples were asking, you know, tell us, teach us how to pray. You go off to pray. Well, how do you pray? And this, he says, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debtors as we also have forgiven those, forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. How many of you guys have heard that before? Maybe? pretty powerful prayer. It doesn't sound like he's talking God into anything. Hmm. Sounds like he's saying your kingdom come. Your will be done. See, our prayers tend to sound like this. God, help me get what I want. I got this job. It's going to be perfect. I mean, it like, it lines up with my schedule and the kids schooling and it pays this much and God just open the door. God, open the door. Right? But Jesus says, This is how we should pray. God, help me want what you want. Does it mean you can't pray for the job? Of course not. But at the end of that prayer, you say, and hey, gay, if this isn't what you want, man, I don't want it either, God. So help me want what you want. Right? So so you can look at your, I think this is in your notes. God will continue to lead us to fork in the road moments where we have to choose between what we want and what God wants over and over and over again. Let me just share with you, I could name like hundreds. Let me just share with you a couple of mine, okay, to give you perspective. When I was in high school, when I was a senior, I wanted to study art. I I loved art. I took all the art classes I could. I wanted to... I knew I probably wasn't going to be an artist, so I thought, I'll teach art, right? And so I was going to go to school, I'm going to teach art, and I'm a senior. And they have a prophetic night available. It's called Presbytery here at the church. My, I, my family had been attending here for like two years. And so if you were a senior, you kind of got, you know, not priority, but they really wanted to pray over seniors just because you're making a lot of big decisions, colleges, what you're going to do with your life. So I signed up. And I remember thinking, oh, no, maybe I shouldn't sign up because what if they tell me not to go to art school? Like, what if they pray something else over me that I was, like, way out in left field and I don't want to do it? Like, so there's a little trepidation in me, like, I don't know if I want, you know, to receive prayer. Well, I did it anyway, and I kind of surrendered to God and said, hey, God, if, you know, my life's yours, so just let me know if I'm off track. So it's about 15 minutes, a couple different pastors pray over me. It's all encouraging, like God's going to use you as an evangelist, and God's going to bless you, and God's going to teach you the word. And it was all nice and encouraging and fluffy and happy and the end. And I'm like, yes. I'm really excited because there was nothing specific about, like, I can still go to art school. 
And they all go to sit down, and there's this one David Miner. If you guys, anybody remember David Miner? He was old then. (laughs) And so he's walking really slowly back to his seat. And they had seats up here because you were really special if you were a prophet. (laughs) You just had to sit over here. (laughs) I thought that was weird. But anyway, so he's walking so slow, and I'm, like, you know, waiting for him to move so I can get up and get off the stage. And then he's like, wait a second. And I'm like, no! I didn't want to say this, didn't want to tell you what to do, but you need to go to Bible college and you need to learn the word of God because that's what God has for your life. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> like, no, go sit in your seat. <laughs> so that was one of the fork in the road decisions. Now I could have just said, I can do that later. Or I can do it, you know, when I'm older or after I have kids. Or I can still do our school. Why not? Of course I could have. But God will always bring you to fork in the road decisions to, to make you choose between what you want, control, or what he wants, surrender. So there's so many other times. I mean, another example for me was when me and Greg, we were dating at the time, we're in Florida in college, at a Christian college. I was doing what God told me to do. I was getting a degree to learn about the Bible. I'm one semester away from finishing that degree, and basically, I get this sense like God wants me to move back to Messina. Now, mind you, the last thing in the whole world I wanted to ever do was move back here. Anybody? Everyone's like, we love Messina. North Country strong. I was not feeling North Country strong. I was Florida warm. That's where my college was, and my plan was, if Jesus is telling me to do ministry, guess what? I can do ministry in warm, tropical places. I hear Hawaii also needs more churches, right? So I had this thing in my head, I'm going to do what God wants, but I'm still going to kind of control where it is. This is what we do all the time. We kind of negotiate, right, with God. So I'm going to stay in Florida. But I keep getting this weird sense. Me and Greg talk about it a couple times. And I don't want him to move because I'm moving. And and I don't even think I'm going to move. But I'm, like, talking about it and feeling this. And then we go to a bookstore. We're going to go see a movie. And before we go to the movie, we stop in at a bookstore with my roommate. And Greg's with us. And there's this guy that walks by us. And he sees that I have a Southeastern hoodie on, which was the name of our college. And he said, hey, do you guys go to Southeastern? And we said, yeah, we do. And he goes, I used to go there. And we're like, oh, cool. And he goes, but uh, God told me to leave school, and now I'm a missionary in Africa. We're just like, whoa. And he was like, I'm here on furlough right now, but, you know, it's a great school, and, you know, good for you guys or whatever. And so he then he kind of goes to walk away. And then he looks at me, and he says, hey, if God told you to quit college, would you? And I'm just like, who are you? And Greg looks at me all freaked out, and I'm like, well, I don't think he'd do that. So I'm being all attitude, right? I have one semester left. That doesn't make any sense. You know, maybe I leave school after the semester, but I need to finish my degree. And he goes, sometimes our um, refusal to let go of the good things in our lives robs us of a God's best. I'm like, what? And then he literally just walks away and is like, see you in heaven. Just like walks away, and we're all my roommate, and we're standing there, and we're like, Was he real? You ever seen? No, I'm making myself sound old. You ever seen that movie, Touched by an Angel? I was like, That's what I was feeling like. I was in Touched by an Angel, and I'm like, Was that dude even a real person? Who says these things? So then I end up moving home, which was the last thing I wanted to do, and I spend a year doing two glorious jobs. One, 
cleaning toilets at the Econo Lodge. Literally, when you have the cleaning lady saying to you, honey, why are you working here? Then you know you have a problem. <laughs> They're trying to convince me to do something more with my life than working at Econo Lodge. And the other thing I did was stuff newspapers. Anybody ever done this job at Johnson Newspaper? That's a tough job. You got to stand on your feet all through the night. It's such an odd job. You know the flyers inside the newspaper? People are like, what's a newspaper? Okay, there used to be these things called newspapers. They were black and white, and they had things like the news about them. And then inside, they would have flyers in the centerfold. So there's somebody that stays up really late at night and puts those flyers in the paper. That was me. Amazing, right? But little did I know, looking back now, what God wanted to do in and through my life, if I wouldn't have said yes, I wouldn't be here now. Like, how crazy is that to think how important it is? Surrender is so important, even when it doesn't make sense, even when you don't have a plan. You don't need a plan B. Jesus is plan A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H. He's everything. And I have to learn to walk by the Spirit and follow him. Okay, I have no idea where I am in my notes. Another quick example. So I finally, uh, we have our kids, and I finally am like, man, my youngest is going to school, so I can do something, because I was a stay-at-home mom for eight years, and I loved it. Well, some of it I didn't love, but <laughs> just being honest, <laughs> there was reasons for that. <laughs> and I'm finally free, like, I can do what I want. I could, maybe I could work for the church, maybe I could, you know, work with teenagers again, maybe, like, the sky's the limit, and I decide, I want to go back to college, because I never got to finish that degree. And you know what? I'm going to get a degree in teaching because I love teenagers. And maybe I'll go back and teach teenagers because I did youth ministry for so long. This will be awesome. So I go and I go to SUNY Potsdam and my kids are in school and I'm like, yeah. Now, mind you, I'm not quite sure God told me to do that. Just sounded like a logical good idea because then I get like my summers off. I get a good salary. I had made $0 on my income tax for like 12 13 years, guys. So I'm just like just excited to make a paycheck at all. Um, you know, but so it sounded like a good idea. So I go to finish my degree. Well, COVID happened, so that was fun. Finish your teaching, um, you know, did my teaching uh, internship like during COVID. But I get my degree. I have my first interview to teach. I get hired. I'm like, this is exciting. I'm going to have a real job. I go to bed that night, and I am so sick to my stomach, it's not even funny. Like, so sick to my stomach. And I told Greg, I said, I don't know what's going on. I mean, I, I should be happy. Like, I got a job. And he's like, I don't know, pray about it. And I prayed about it. I couldn't sleep all night, so I had a lot of opportunity to pray. And the next morning, I was like, I got to go in there and tell him I can't take this job. And I really, and even in that moment, it wasn't like it was like, because this is over here is a great opportunity instead. There was no other great opportunity. I was still staying at home, doing nothing while my kids were in school. Like, But I went in there, and I told the principal, this is going to sound really weird, but I have no peace about this, and I can't take this job. Thankfully, she was wonderful and gracious. But how crazy is that? And then God's led me on this crazy writing path. Why? Because surrender. It's not luck. It's not chance. It's not who you know. It's surrender. God has so much he wants to do through our lives, but we won't give up control. So I want to read you guys something real quick. 
Because here's a big question. How do we know which path to choose? So if I'm at a fork in the road, how do I know? Because a lot of times, when is a teacher quiet? When he's giving a test, right? Teachers talk all the time. But when he's testing you, he kind of usually is pretty quiet. And you're like, God, just tell me what to do. Just give me a word from heaven, a dream, an angel. And a lot of times they don't come. So this is what I want to throw out to you. Your way tends to feel safe. Tends to, okay? Tends to feel safe, logical, predictable, comfortable. But despite all of those cozy adjectives, you have no peace. Okay? God's way tends to feel new, risky, foreign, hard. This is the one. Why is it so hard? Hard. But despite all of those adjectives, you have an overwhelming sense of peace. Right? So, every one of us is on this journey of surrender. Right? To learn how to walk following the Holy Spirit. But it really requires us to let go of control. And I say this a lot in my writing. You have to hand the pen of your life to God. He's such a gentleman. Right, Alice? He never takes the pen out of your life. He just sits over there and is like, eee, that's, ooh, okay, you want to write that in your story? Mm." Waiting so patiently for someone just to hand him the pen and say, God, I stink at this. (laughs) You do it. Because we do. <laughs> um, so I want to read you guys one more verse. I, we, I know we're going to do communion in a minute. If maybe the people that are um, going to be partaking or helping with distributing communion want to come up. And then maybe the worship team wants to come up now too. So John 21 is what I want to read to you guys. Let me just give you a little backstory. It's verse 18. So let me just tell you what's happened. So this is the last chapter of John. So what's happened here is, Jesus died on the cross. He, he's raised from the dead three days later. And he starts appearing. For 40 days, he starts sporadically appearing to his friends, to the disciples. And this is one of the times. They're out fishing. And they're out in the water. And Jesus walks up, like, to the shore. And they're, like, trying to figure out who that is. And it's kind of similar to when he first called them to be disciples. He says, cast your net over there and you'll catch a bunch of fish. So they do it, and they catch fish. And when they pull into the shore, they realize, oh, my gosh, this is Jesus. When they catch the fish, like, they have this revelation, like, deja vu, right? (laughs) Wait, we've done this before. So they come to the shore, and I just love this picture. Jesus has cooked them breakfast. Isn't that just a cool thought, right? Like, I want Jesus to cook me breakfast. It sounds just so cool. So such, such a servant of him. He's cooked them all breakfast. And he looks at Peter, right? So before this, Peter, one of his disciples, had denied Jesus three times, right? He had pretended he didn't know him. Are you a disciple? No. And so Jesus looks at Peter, and they're eating. And he says, Peter. Oh, he doesn't call him Peter. He calls him Simon, which was his name before he changed it. Do you know why he kept calling him Simon, first of all? Anybody have it? Right, because he wasn't being who God's called him to be. Um. Hang on, I lost my spot. God called Peter Simon because we forfeit our identity when we take back control. I'm going to say that again. Three times that Peter denied him, it's three times he was taking control of his own life. Because that's scary. If they know I'm a disciple, they'll kill me. 
So three times he denied him. And so he stopped calling him Peter, which was the new name he had given him. We forfeit our identity every time we take back control. And so this is the scene. And he says, Peter, do you love me? And he says, you know I love you. Or Simon, do you love me? You know I love you, Jesus. Feed my sheep. Simon, do you love me? feed my lamb. Simon, do you love me? Take care of my sheep. He asked him three times just because like the three times he denied him. But then this is the part of the verse right after nobody reads. How many has ever heard a sermon about do you love me, Peter, and love your neighbor and feed your sheep? Verse 18. Then Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself. You went where you wanted. But when you're old, You'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. So after that, it says it, it was um, symbolic of the death that Peter was going to die for Jesus. But it's that word is to all of us. When you're a young, immature Christian, you get dressed and I do what I want to do. I live my life. I make my decisions logical, rational. Like, what is everybody else doing? But if you want to be mature in Christ, if you want to walk in the Spirit, he says, if you want to be, you know, mature in him, that he, someone will take your hand and lead you where you don't want to go. God, I don't want what I want. I want what you want. Right? Jesus, help us to want what you want. So if you guys want to stand, we're going to take communion. Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week and have a blessed day.